about what's in the news this week before we say hi to our esteemed panellists. We've got the biggest corruption trial in Hong Kong history opening today with the most senior official ever charged and two of the city's biggest property magnates. A question from me, has Occupy Central become Occupy a couple of deck chairs in the police married quarters but only between the hours of eight and nine if the bloke on the door says so? I'll hand it over to Steve Fines and Harvey Stockwin. How are you today? Good morning. <laughs> as, as they say, with, with, with no real no real conviction. Every now and again, we all meet together in the same studio, and that's great fun. I think, I mean, Harvey's, Harvey's uh, bent seems to be a lot more of the regional stuff, and there's one thing that ties in beautifully, the whole Occupy thing, and your angle is Taiwan. So why don't yes, you start? That, yeah, uh, well, I mean, that, that, what happened in Taiwan is everything that uh, the Occupy movement is not going to be here in Hong Kong. Uh, it was entirely spontaneous. This is this this uh, the actual occupation it just happened of yeah. of the parliament. Well, uh, the government made mistakes, and it got the students' ire. But nobody planned it, and there was no you know pre uh, forecast that this was going to happen. It just suddenly happened when the government. Uh, yeah pushed hard in, in, in one particular direction. Steve, this is what gets me a bit. The Hong Kong thing is really interesting because it's nothing more than something on a piece of paper at the moment. And, and you could say, are the aces being played too soon? Well, I think it, that's one way of looking at it, indeed. I mean, I, I think people keep focusing on the small picture when you've got a great big picture out there. The great big picture is as simple as the nose on your face. And it is that... China promised Hong Kong the implementation of universal suffrage when it was seemed like a far distant dream. As it came closer and closer, they thought... Yeah, but no, but... <laughs> universal suffrage? I don't think so. <laughs> now, how can we make that into um, partial universal suffrage? Or, better still, not really universal suffrage at all. So how can we make a, a true and open election into a controlled election? And they hit upon, and you've got to give them credit for this, the genius of saying, you can vote for anybody you like as long as we've screened them and selected them so that we know that the candidate who will emerge will be somebody who we can live with. Let me dramatise... That isn't even vaguely Let a me dramati open election. dramatise a tiny bit here, and this is a sort of very childish notion, but could this possibly turn out to be one of the biggest lies ever told by one group of people to another? Oh, that's a big... <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, back in the day, yeah, you know... I mean, it is, an in it, it is an enormous lie, and if anybody wants to... Um, if anybody wants to find out what really is Beijing's intentions on this matter, all they need to do is look at their puppet parties here. The DAB, the, um, um, the Federation of Trade Unions, who are, who are all run by party members, they've actually proposed, so it's in the public domain, we don't even need to guess, they've actually proposed a scheme for this election, which is even more restrictive than the current scheme in terms of who can be selected as a candidate. The reason, of course, they were very relaxed about um, who was selected as a candidate before was they knew that the electors were only a handful of their best friends so that nobody would ever be chosen who they didn't like. Now that the great unwashed is to take part in this election, they have to make sure that all those people are screened out. So just look at the DAB's proposal yeah. and you will find it will be impossible. There's no sort of if or but. It will be impossible for the people to have a genuine choice of candidate. But instead, Occupy Central, 
all these people are, 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 are focusing on what seems to be an incomprehensible level of um, meetings and deliberations and referenda, none of which clarifies the issue. And then, at the end of the day, they're saying, you know, why, why should we mobilise a million people, which we've seen mobilised in Hong Kong, for example, in the aftermath of Tiananmen, when we can mobilise a tiny little elite to go and occupy Central? It's sheer genius. I want to put this just into Harvey language for a second. Would you say that the, the most clear and present danger to Hong Kong at the moment are the people you call the local China whateverists? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, that they are. Except that some of the whateverists are, 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 are people who are trying to oppose them. I mean, I'm inclined to uh, uh, put the China whateverists <coughs> amongst the, uh, the people who are organising uh, this Occupy movement. I mean, uh, there's one point that came very clear to me uh, studying what happened in Taiwan, and that that is, if you're going to Occupy... You don't occupy a district of the town. Nobody was foolish enough to say occupy Taipei. The thing was, <laughs> the government made mistakes in the parliament, and so the students came back and said, we're going to occupy the parliament until they rectify the mistake. And, that and, was spontaneous behaviour. I mean, Harvey's right on the money here, because what's very interesting is the very people who are most active in the Occupy movement, i.e. scholarism and the students, when they had their own protests, their own successful protests, and boy, we should never learn from success, we should only learn from <laughs> failure, where did they go? They went to Lechko. <laughs> so Logic. Worked, they, it they worked, just... so we're saying, oh, that was a good plan, let's, let's ignore that, and let's go for the plan that's least likely to have any effect. Uh, yeah. You know, the idea that you, 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 you block up the streets of Central, I know um, there's some upsides to that in that it will, it will aggravate bankers, so everybody will be happy about that. And, and it might aggravate some lawyers, so, you know, that, that's all good. But it will also aggravate a lot of people who aren't bankers and aren't lawyers and, and you know, just find it aggravating. The idea that you should inconvenience the government in its central office... And remember, the genius of the new government complex is LegCo and the government headquarters are all in the same place. People say, well, I don't know. I think they get what they deserve. They've, they've proposed this. Let's, let's put them under siege. Yeah. It, it, it is it's muddled thinking of, of an order that's almost dizzying. Because, again, if we step back, there is no doubt at all, and you can look at opinion polls, every survey other than the ones conducted by the DAB, show very clearly that people in Hong Kong, by an enormous, not some sort of tiny little majority, by an enormous majority, want universal suffrage and would be prepared to campaign for it. Yeah. So here's a scheme to make sure that most of those people are excluded from that campaign. <laughs> you could, you could, it's, you could, it's ridiculous. It's, it's brilliance, isn't it? Yeah. You, could, you could say that Occupy Central's already done its job because it's certainly gotten rattled, even though it's just on the back of a cigarette packet right now. It's got them rattled, but because it's so stupid, it's also given them a way of deflecting the argument. So now they no longer talk about democracy. They no longer talk about the Pledge for mm. Universal Suffrage. They, they only talk about Occupy Central because they know that there's a fundamental flaw and weakness there. So thank you, boys. You've handed them on a plate 
an excuse not to tackle the uh, fundamental issue. Let's get the crystal ball out. If this one went ahead and it was busy and it was all the things that the organisers wanted it to, do you reckon we'd see a bunch of Shandong squaddies with PLA uniforms on looking after, as has been sort of va- veiled, threatened? Well, it, 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 if they continue in the way they want to go with Occupy Central, then this does give the Chinese, uh, you know, the, the excuse... In the basic law, the thing about... Uh, the the whole thing. Yeah. They, so they, the they, 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 yeah. they, they crack down and do what they're so good at, the, 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 the gentle art of suppression. And I wham, mean, bam, we go back to the 60s. Well, <laughs> well, well that's right. Well, well, what, I mean, what happens here is what people feared but never happened when the British were running the place because the Chinese didn't, at that stage didn't want to offend the British. But, but if, you, if you remember, and I mean if we're going to go back in history, even during the unrest in Hong Kong of the 1960s, during the, um, the, the Cultural Revolution, the British actually, of course, had troops here in the same way as the PLA did, but they, ne- they were never mobilised. In fact, it was the police, only the police, yeah. who, who, who conducted... Um, anti, you could call it anti-terrorist, whatever. But it was only the police who who, who exercised public yeah. control activities, seek coppers, selective control, and it worked well. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not entirely sure that it's axiomatic that the PLA would intervene because you have a police chief. Oh, I'm saying, you know, let's just see, no, no. But I'm, I'm just no. just saying, you know, I think it's always easier to predict the past than the future. Yeah, <laughs> Um, I'm just saying that you, 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 it, we, we happen to be in a situation, by no coincidence, where we have the most political police of chief that I've ever seen in Hong Kong, a man who is bent on curtailing civil liberties if he possibly can. And I think he will deploy the police in the most aggressive possible way. And it probably won't be necessary to mobilise the PLA garrison, which I think even the people across the border know will, will, will be a step likely to mobilise well, even more people. There was a cracking story going around about giving PLA soldiers Hong Kong cop uniforms. Well, no... The, they wouldn't stand out a mile. The, the, well, that story was that, that they were already um, performing policing duties um, in Hong Kong and, you know, suspiciously tall and heavily I, Mandarin-accented p- policemen <laughs> wandering around in Causeway Bay. That was the story. I, I'm not sure whether that was apocryphal or true, but um, it was certainly never, doing the I rounds. I mean, that makes sense. I'd never heard that one before. I've never seen, like, anybody that, you know, that's your describing, <laughs> sort of six-foot-three with a sort of squatty haircut. You don't, yeah, see, you yeah. don't see many coppers looking like sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Apart from the nasty old guilos that, you know... But, oh, well, we but you know, that nasty you, old guilos. You, you don't see, but anyway, <laughs> let's, let's try and put some sense into this one. Hong Kong students... Uh, excuse me. Taiwanese students were reaching out via social media to the students of Hong Kong. I'm wondering if you're seeing much of a link in any way between what happened... Uh, oh, really? Uh, yes, yes, yeah. I mean, it's the obvious thing to do. Yeah, like, I, where your I think, the, I think as the Occupy Central movement is currently constructed, I think the Taiwanese students would have a great deal of difficulty talking to them because the, they're, they're on a different wavelength. And that's partly because everything they did, they knew they had democracy and they knew that wasn't going to disappear. 
Well, they were protecting it, weren't they? Yes, let's, let's they were protect, protecting it, but but they had it. It was whereas here it, it's issue. something over the horizon. Let's go to an email here from Brett who says, "Over in Taiwan, the people get uppity about something, and look how it turns out." Compare that to the far west of the country, where folks are so fed up with how things are going. Some have taken uh, their anger to the streets in Kunming and Guangzhou. Where will we end up? I wonder. He says, "I think I'll opt for Taiwan, as in moving there." What Sorry, what he, was he's that? thinking Last move it, moving to Taiwan. Oh. But actually, do you know? Um, and I now shamelessly give a plug for a programme that I'm involved in called The Pulse. Yep. We did a whole segment last week. It's an RTHK programme, incidentally, chaps. Um, we did a whole segment last week about Hong Kong people moving to Taiwan. Oh. Unprecedented numbers are going to Taiwan. It's quite interesting. And how many gave democracy as a reason quite for... Quite a few. Really? Quite a few. That is interesting. Quite a few. So they said they like the environment, they like the freedom, and, you know, they like the fact that there was a democratic government there. So this is an almost... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very pleased our programme did it, because it's an almost uncovered subject in the Hong Kong media. In fact, I, I haven't seen it anywhere else. Other than yeah, yeah. I, in fact, I think that would be a surprise to a lot of people in Taiwan. It was quite a surprise to me, because I didn't know about this before one of the um, producers on the programme started working on it. So it's, it is interesting. And another interesting thing, I, I mean, if we're going to talk about Taiwan, is, you know, in some ways, the Taiwan movement is very like the scholarism movement. In other words, none of the major political parties were involved with it at the outset. It was, it was a spontaneous thing from the students. The, yeah, the students deliberately kept the, kept, them at bay. Uh, kept the DPP at uh, arm's length because they still haven't got over the disaster for the party of Chen Shui-bun's eight-year presidency. Well, they indeed. still haven't. But but I mean they they in the same way as scholarism and the anti-national education protest didn't come from the established political parties in, in in Hong Kong. It came from outside. And in the same way as in Taiwan, it started with the students but it, it spread into a much broader movement. And if you remember in Taiwan, outside the legislative yuan, the majority of people weren't students. They were members of the public drawn from all walks of life. Came, who, who they came, came along into to it, support yes, them. once yeah. the students yes. led. So, I mean, the, 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 these parallels are quite interesting. Yes. Uh, what happened subsequently on uh, uh, March the 23rd when a different group of students tried to take over the administrative yuan as distinct from the legislative yuan, that's an, that's an interesting one. I haven't seen any good explanations of that. The police were prepared. They drove them, they drove them out. But I think that was an example of one group of students wanting to go one up on the students who had occupied the legislative yuan. It wasn't cohesion, it was, it was division at work. And uh, that, that was a disappointment. Uh, but, but, you know, even students will have bitter rancor, they'll have jealous rivalries, and I think that was what caused the letdown on March the 23rd right. when we're they fought to take over and the police defeated them. But they we're we're going to have to put the brakes on here for a second, guys. Sorry to interrupt you. We can come back to it, but just give me a quick sniffer of what we're going to do after the news. Well, we might talk about the government's irresponsibility <laughs> system. <laughs> I can't even say the words. You got it. Anyway, if you want to get in touch, it's morningbrew at rthk.hk. 
And I'm in with Steve Vines and Harvey Stockwin. Actually, I too, Steve, thought I, I thought that that whole thing about move to Taiwan was perhaps a, a notion, but it, no, it's absolutely true. Brett wrote back. He said the exodus has already been in the papers here, and uh, he said because there are so many going, Taiwan will be tightening up the requirements in order to stem the flow. That's true. That's true. They are tightening their their immigration. There's a Facebook page and all. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. just a yeah. A, no, no. I think it's 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 a real thing. What I want to talk about now, because it's got this nice link of people power, etc., etc., is it's really hitting the fan in Thailand. The king has now been uh, brought into the brought into the situation, and Yingla, I believe, is probably talking to him right now. Yes, uh, and this will be an acid test of the monarchy. One of the big disappointments, I think, uh, for those who would like to see Thailand uh, progressing uh, has been the lack of interference by uh, the monarchy in the last uh, year, two years. The word from, a word from the king could have sorted out this deep, deep division between the Democrats, so-called, who are mainly centred in the South, and the Thaksin Supporters who are sec- uh, centered in the north and north uh, northeast, and uh, a word from him would have ended this negative conflict between these two forces with the elite in Bangkok desperately tr- uh, trying to help the Democrats to undermine uh, the Thaksin the ta- forces yeah. and uh, y- Yinluck. Shinawatra playing a very actually shrewd game uh, until yesterday when the uh, one of the main co- I wouldn't say the Supreme Court but one of the main courts ruled that uh, she had um, constitutional courts ruled that she had offended uh, uh, the law on what many people will see as total, especially in a tax income, totally spurious grounds. Shift, shifting around her defence guy. Uh, yeah. Yes, and... Uh, well, as he a is res- a relative, of course. Uh, <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> Uncle defence guy. Uh, <laughs> as a result, uh, she, uh, Yinluck has had to resign, and um, uh, so have uh, eight members of her cabinet, but the... Uh, Bangkok elite, which is, as I say, organising a thing and got this ruling out of one of the main courts, um, is still not getting what it wants because it was hoping that an interim government would be appointed of entirely neutral people capable of rewriting the constitution so as to make it impossible for the Shinawat family to go on winning elections. But I think what's really, really disappointing about this is you've got two bunches of bad guys. You've got the rapacious Shinawat family who, 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 who want to turn Thailand into a subsidiary of the Shinawat Corporation... I, I don't know if I'd go along with that. I well, mean, I think to a certain extent this is, this is about the up-and-coming business elite challenging the established elite around the court and around the army, the people who've, who've run Thailand in various guises for, for many, many years during the reign of the current king. Yes, and, but and, and the Shinwat family taking over from them that's what I'm saying. Uh, but, in but, terms but, but, but of winning elections. But I don't think that the Shinwat people have great noble aims. I mean, what they have, and I think you cannot dispute this, is they in fact have a mandate 
to, to run a government. They have a mandate, from- and they are giving the people of the North and the Northeast something that they never got out of the Bangkok elite before, and that is policies that pay. They, have, they certainly have some of that. But what I'm saying is that the, the reason I say it's a tragedy is because with the red shirts and the yellow shirts, there are a lot of people who aren't from the elite who are participating in these protests. And, you know, they genuinely believe on one side or another that, that they're joining in for, for a greater cause. That is, I, yeah, we've forgotten I don't about think, those people, haven't I we? I know, well, there's, there's a lot of them. And I don't think there is a greater cause. I think the greater cause for the leadership is a power struggle. For their own ends. And precisely, this is where, in in past occasions, the monarchy, which can be way above power Mm. struggles, has been able to give verdicts, you know, when... when, uh, Well, in the 1990s, particularly, when, when the king stopped dead. The, the 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 army coup just right. said, "I'm not having that anymore. You go back to your barracks. We will now go back to civilian exactly, government." And exactly. he literally did that overnight, didn't he? Exactly, and that is <laughs> precisely what is lacking at the moment. I am very surprised that Yinluck's reaction to yesterday is that she is going to appeal to the king. But it'd be very interesting to see if that has any effect whatsoever. Well, well there's else? another. Just just to Go throw on. something in, which I know. How Harvey knows about. I mean, there is another aspect to this, is that the red shirts, i.e. the Taksim people, are desperately waiting, they, they don't say this in public, for the king to die. Because, of course, they think that his successor, the crown prince, is one of theirs, and is already in their pocket. Uh, that's and that right. will transform the situation the, for them. Taksin, when he was prime minister, made a point of getting very close to the crown prince. And, of course, the Bangkok elite has long been uh, favouring the crown princess mm. as, the new, uh, as the new monarch, because simply because they distrust the crown prince. So, I mean, that is... Um, after uh, this huge reign by Bumibon, seventy going on seventy years, there is this real fear that the polarization of Thailand politics could even affect the future of the monarchy. Do you know the two things that strike me just listening to you chatting over there? One is, if you think about it, all around the world there are things happening. <coughs> Which basically are people saying to the ruling elite, no, we've had enough. I mean, it's got to be more than a coincidence. This is happening in many, many places, one way and another, isn't it? Yes. And, the, and the other thing that strikes me is where else in the world could the king go, stop it? And they do. Uh, uh, no, and the question is, can he do that any longer or is he just too ill? Is he even being told that Yunlak is appealing to him for, to, to, to uh, uh, make a judgment? It's also interesting in Thailand, if you take a slightly historical um, view on this, to, to remember that the king has built up his position to where it is today from literally nothing. Mm. I mean, he Amazing stepped, story. Well, he stepped in when his brother was murdered in the palace. The monarchy was so weak when uh, he became king that they were literally puppets and maybe not with strings, but in all other ways, of, of, of the military. And it's extraordinary how he's become this revered figure. And people think, oh, it's been like that forever in Thailand. It's just simply not true. Yes, absolutely. There's been very, very weak monarchs. So, I mean, what one thing you do learn from this is the power of personality is never to be underestimated. 
I mean, you, you look at people who dominate systems. It's not because of the system itself. It's to do with their personality and how they've organised it. And this can change like that. Well, I think I know one person who's going to have something more to say about this. Of course, Harvey and his This Week's Reflections from Asia. Because, you know, 24 hours from now, you're going to have a bunch of things to say about this, I should uh. imagine. <laughs> just telling you, just in case you didn't know. Today. Before, before we wrap up today, I want to I bring it back home. There's some crazy stuff going on right here at the moment. And when we're talking about various strains of flu and things like that, I think there's another one coming on called a uh, very virulent strain of HKRA. That would be Hong Kong Rail Amnesia happening. Yes. Isn't that isn't that a terrible thing? I mean, you, we, we all had a good chuckle in what was the year? Um, I've written it down so I don't forget it. Yeah, we all we all had um, a good chuckle in two thousand and two, when the government brought in its <laughs> accountability system. I mean, you can barely say it with a straight face. And we now know that the accountability system for senior officials means that the junior officials take the blame for everything. Gosh. In the MTR, you couldn't make this up. <laughs> First of all. They lie to the legislators about what's going on. The, the person in charge of the transport department says, it's not my fault because they lied to me as well. The people at the MTR say, oh, it's not my fault I was at because the there was a bloke in the tunnel who didn't tell us anything. And we're going to get to the bottom of this by appointing the non-executive directors of the MTR to look into this. These are the people... Yeah. Who were oh that's right these are the people who were asleep on the job when they were supposed to be <laughs> monitoring the MTR the government says oh we'll have an inquiry and we'll appoint uh, Professor Lee um, to to head that inquiry and then after about six minutes a few newspapers a, a flick of a computer found out that he had an enormous conflict of interest because he was director of one of the companies with the main contract for building this project. Doesn't anybody in, in the government have a computer? Have they heard of Google? Even I've heard of Google. No, but they're not allowed I can to search have the internet stuff. for security reasons. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you just think can't, I'm but you cannot make up the how, level of cock-up here. How much, in your view, of these uh, problems that have arisen with the various projects that MTR is engaged in, how much is it due to a simple lack of competition? They should never have given so many railway lines to MTR. They should have had... There's that. There's, there's, there's of course, the cock-up theory. Which, which you love. Which I love, <laughs> and I, I always believe, if in doubt. But, you know, I mean, this is a very big project. It's entirely possible... That, that there are geographical, geological conditions that, that hamper progress away from the... But it is in the DNA of this government that if there's a problem, the first thing we've got to do is hide it. The second thing we've got to do is to allocate the blame. And the third thing we've got to do, if we really have to, is apologise. 